The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. The S&P 500 is heading for its fifth straight month of gains, while oil is on pace for its best first half since 2009. As today wraps up trading for the month, the quarter and the half year. Higher inflation should be welcomed, this according to the Bank for International Settlements. But Claudio Borio tells CNBC it shouldn't be too high for too long. Increasing inflation is going to be uh, Second point for those countries actually that have been trying very, very hard to get inflation up unsuccessfully, having inflation persistently higher, roughly a target, that would actually be very good news. Didi reportedly pricing its IPO at the top of its range, valuing the Chinese ride hailing giant at more than $70 billion ahead of its US debut today. But fellow mainland tech play Ding Dong raises double-digit gains to close flat on the New York exchange. The delivery firm CEO telling CNBC he's not concerned by the scaled-back listing. Demand for online groceries is booming. Chinese consumers are requiring higher quality. China's supply chain is transforming quickly, so we are producing more and more quality products. We are entering a large number of cities in China. All of these point to growth, so we have full confidence. Chinese manufacturing activity dips to a four-month low, while Japan factory output records its biggest drop in a year as slowing car production threatens the recovery. Morning. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you look poised. Well, no, as though you're going to say something meaningful. And really. uh, right, okay. No, but do you know, uh, this has been a hard half a year for most people on the planet, hasn't yes. it? Quite frankly, yes. as well. Yes. I mean, really, psychologically, quite damaging for many people. And you know, we talk a lot about mental health as well. Mm. I mean, let's be brutally honest about this. A lot of people thought this year we will be off to the races in many, many ways, mm. uh, and life will be back to normal. Well, here we are. Uh, at the point where we're going to talk about markets in the mm. half year. And yes, financially, it's been fantastic for many, many people, but psychologically, mm. it's still quite damaging. I mean, socially, it's really tough out there still, I would suggest. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we talked earlier in the week about whether the markets have gone a bit too early on the reopening trade here because the indications are that these variants are causing lots of problems. And even here in the UK, where we you know, pat ourselves on the back and talk about how far ahead we are in terms of the vaccination programme, there is a new wave of cases that is emerging across the country, which I think is raising concerns about whether this July 19th date is going to be pivotal for full reopening or whether, in fact, wow. it's just going to lead to another extension. Well, I, I think there is a change of psychology in the UK government. Um, look, I mean, Matt Hancock's gone. He got caught snogging on video camera in his office. We, we can park that one aside. But Sajid Javid, former Chancellor of the Exchequer, is back in now. And with him, and I don't know if it's him or basically a whole new government strategy that's come with the new health secretary mm. that says, do you know what? 
We're not going to defeat this thing. It's going to be around for our children's children. But what we are going to do is going to learn to live with it with high vaccination rates. And I think that is a very different messaging uh, from the UK government in the last 72 hours. Which is fine until you're talking about travel to regions where vaccination rates are much lower. So this whole idea that we can live in isolation and we can be vaccinated and we can have herd immunity and it's going to be okay just doesn't work when the rest of the world maybe is not in that position is doing things like they're doing in Australia, where it's fortress Australia at the moment. You cannot leave. You cannot come back in. And that's going to continue potentially for another 12 months. And and they have got tiny death rates compared with many parts of the rest of the world. And and brilliant to all our Australian friends out there. But the problem is that has led to many people out saying, actually, I don't fancy taking what they believe is some risk, albeit tiny, 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 of having a vaccine. Now, look, you and I are both double jabbed as well. Touchwood, most people we know have had short-term reactions, but nothing yeah. serious. Well, we've just um, hijacked the top of the programme. Well, to no, talk no, what we this, haven't but... is, what we've said is, despite <clears throat> the fact that the, the, the markets are a bullion, and that's what yeah. you're going to talk about now, yeah. actually life isn't necessarily a bullion to match those markets. No, but when you've got a decade of easy monetary policy and near zero well, interest rates, and now you've got fiscal policy jumping in, what could possibly go wrong? Ah, this board is actually red, um, and I, know, I don't know that a lot of people were expecting this necessarily, given what we've been discussing here and given some of the underlying drivers of risk-taking activity, particularly in the retail community now, that has be- begun to get all in in terms of equities. But actually, the Dow uh, for the month to date so far is just in negative territory. Of course, uh, anybody would love to have in a pre Uh, near zero interest rate world, 12% return on a year, possibly 12% over a couple of years. But here we are, we're talking about 12% year to date for the Dow Jones Industrial Average in spite of what was a weaker month. So let's flip the board. Let's have a quick look at the S&P and we'll have a look at the NASDAQ as well, just to make sure that you've got a fully rounded picture of how we wrap up this half year. Up 2% on the month to date, 14% year-to-date. So even as there's been a lot of talk about the cyclicals and the left-behind stocks, it is still growth and technology that is attracting capital. Uh, And let's just flip it uh, over to show you the NASDAQ, and you can see the... uh, NASDAQ also indicating that growth story. A lot of uh, companies in the S&P reflecting the growth. The NASDAQ, I think, if you want the pure play tech, we're up 5.5% here on the month to date. The NASDAQ year to date, 12.73%. If I'm here representing the US markets, I can feel pretty smug about myself if I'm long the markets because... These have put on a clean pair of heels. How, how did we do in yeah, Europe? I mean, it's the same kind of story. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to whiz through these Europe things. Yeah. Firstly, because I've already talked about the psyche compared with markets. And secondly, because I think Karen <coughs> has got three of the most interesting boards. She's got Bitcoin, which is what it is, and it goes up, it goes down. I have yeah. no idea. But she's also got the, the dollar index, and she's got the 10-year yield. And I think that's where the most fascinating action is, because of the lack of abullience in those products, i.e., why is the yield so low on the, on the bond market? Why is the dollar index not performing better? So I'll just go through 
through these European markets quite quickly because they are quite impressive uh, on the uh, year to date. FTSE's put on 10%. I suppose the only thing you'd be surprised about is that it's underperformed the other indices, given what Jeff has just already been talking about, uh, and we well, about the oil market, for instance, the subsector in the oil sector uh, in the States is, is up you know, 40 odd percent this year. Amazing performance, best year for a long, long time. WTI Brent surging, but the FTSE, which is a, a proxy for a lot of those oil companies in Europe, has underperformed quite dramatically the likes of the Kakarant, the likes of the Zetrodax, the likes of the FTSE MIB. Now, the Zetrodax you can clearly point to, oh, well, it's uh, the industrial heart of Europe, and as such, the, the value trade over the growth trade uh, is responding very well. But don't forget, the DAX is also home to a lot of institutions which are really struggling to reinvent in the 21st century, such as the financials, uh, such as the, the airport group, such as uh, the likes are, are of the automakers as well. So there's a lot of hope rather than substance in some of these as well. Um, I think, is that me you're looking at WTI as well? I will show WTI then quick, very quickly as well, because I think this is where, as I say, a lot of the action is there. Um, that's the number really you need to see, 52% higher uh, over the year to date. But as I say, I think the, the one that Karen's got next and the one she's got after Bitcoin are the absolute key. So why don't we bring her in? Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jeff. I do agree. The numbers on these charts are incredible. I think even the equity market managers are watching the bond markets at this point. So let's just kick off with that all-important U.S. Treasury market because we started at 0.9%. That's right, just below 1% at the start of this year on that U.S. 10-year yield. We escalated all the way up to 1.7% or beyond amid concerns that the Fed may be behind the curve, that it was not focused on the very hot inflation numbers that were coming through. And don't forget, as we started out this quarter, we had the 4.2% in April, and then we saw a 5% handle on CPI in May. So some much stronger numbers than we're used to weathering on inflation. But the market then started to see just a little bit of softness come back into this yield. And you can see we've drifted back to settle below the 1.5% leveling fairly comfortable territory with a slightly more hawkish Fed than anyone had anticipated. The slight tweaking of the language by Jay Powell and co about what they're seeing out there, talking about a taper and watching these numbers very closely and that they are willing to act 2023 on interest rates seems to be the time frame in the dot plots. So finally, we saw just repositioning. But the problem is that this market has now flattened to an extent where investors are looking for more signs of life and they're worried about what it may mean for the equity markets. So in many ways, this is the key as we get set up for the next quarter and the next half. Let me take you to some of the more erratic categories we've been watching, namely Bitcoin. We traded up, you may recall, to almost 65 thousand dollars in mid-April. We were just a touch off that in a record high. We had uh, many bullish comments across the board. All of those young millennials trading the product, those that were chasing currencies that were not fiat currencies. And then, of course, Tesla waiting in, showing its interest about taking the crypto as a form of payment, uh, also investing in it, before then backtracking on those environmental concerns. On top of that, uh, we then saw some wild moves to the downside, what, that 30% plunge back in May below $30,000. Hardline tactics by the Chinese about transactions of the currency and whether you're facilitating crypto. So that did cause the price to fall. And you can see we're well and truly off that $64,000 mark around uh, $34,800. Quick look at the dollar then by comparison, a bit of a boring trade in many ways versus, you know, still 25% up on Bitcoin for this year. 
we are slightly higher. It's been an interesting journey where I think in many ways the currency has tracked the yield. We started out, as I mentioned, at 1.7% high watermark for the US 10-year yield. And you could see that the dollar also started to track higher at the start of the year before falling back. And it just tests the theory about the dollar being an all-weather currency. It felt as though as soon as that yield came back and some of the concerns around inflation disappeared, dollar actually got a little bit uh, lower. So uh, more risk on currencies were supported. But now there are concerns with a slightly more hawkish tone from the Fed, what it means for those emerging market currencies that may have to also track the central bank policy and, and tighten rates and what that means for debt-laden economies. And you can see dollar coming back into the mix a little bit in the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you put your finger on something very important, Karen. And, and for me, the dollar is very key to the second half of the year here because you, we did get that. It was like the grand, the grand old Duke of York, wasn't it? We did get that little run up. And now we've got a flattening out and potentially a little run down here. And we cannot see the dollar get significantly stronger here if we are going to have a rebound in growth globally through the second half of the year, which will be supported not only in equity markets, but in commodity markets and elsewhere. If we get the dollar rising too much, in anticipation of Fed action, I think that has the potential to snuff out a lot of the resilience of the rebound. And you've only got to look at some of the Chinese data at the moment, way ahead of us in terms of going into it and coming out of uh, the pandemic. But their data is starting to flatten out a little bit. The new orders numbers weren't bad yesterday, but I think there are some suspicions that some of that has to do with the higher energy price now and the fact that we've had these high copper prices and other high commodity prices. I mean, for goodness sake, the Chinese state has even started selling some industrial metals from its own reserves to ease some of the pressure that manufacturers are now suffering. Look, um, the missing piece of the jigsaw in terms of the Federal Reserve, which, let's face it, is perhaps the biggest single entity which dictates where these international markets are going. I don't think that's a controversial statement as well, uh, is the jobs figures, the 8 million jobs lost or the circa uh, 8% jobs compared to where we were previously. Now, there is a lot of evidence out there that suggests actually there are job shortages in key areas, especially areas where the US wants to grow itself in a build back better post-COVID way. Uh, I've been talking about the JOLTS data for quite a long while as well. I'll, I'll draw your attention to the uh, conference board consumer data yesterday, which was quite frankly off the Richter scale positive. Listen to this. The net percentage of people rating jobs as plentiful, um, i.e. those are plentiful minus those who are saying hard to get, has surged to 43.5. Now, what does that mean? 43.5. It means nothing to you. It means nothing to me. Apart from if I add this line, mm. that is the highest level since the year 2000. So in a fifth of a century... There has never been a higher level of Americans in the conference board data who have said jobs are plentiful. Now, if I said nothing else in this show today, please have a think about what that means compared with the non-farm payroll figures that we're going to get on Friday and the ADP numbers we're going to get before that as well. Because surely that must add some, 
iota, slither, tiny, tiny fragment of doubt in those who are saying, actually, the job situation is still stunningly serious and stunningly bad in the US as well. There is contradictory data. That's all I want to say. And it's more confusing than we need to get those jobs back. Those jobs are uh, not there. Because don't forget the other thing is, and this is a hard fact, a lot of people don't want to go back to their previous jobs as well. A, because they didn't like their jobs, and B, because they're getting a lot of support as it is. They don't necessarily have the incentive to go back yet, Karen. Can I just say those jobs have changed as well? You think about the conversations we had pre-crisis and it was about a skill shortage that employers could not find the right workers to go into some of these jobs. If you think about what these same companies have done during the pandemic, they've all been chasing digital acceleration. They've been transforming the businesses to get ready for the next phase of growth. And that is a huge push into technology. So I dare say the jobs have changed across many sectors and industries and at a company level. So as employers look to recruit at this stage, they're looking for a slightly different skill set. And got to say, that's going to be a challenge at some point. I, I think you're seeing some of this reflected in the stock market, though. The recent trade on markets has been one towards the technology sector. The, the fact that we're inking fresh gains on the NASDAQ and the S&P is down to some of those technology names. So you are seeing a reflection of that tech trade. Uh, the question I have is what's left at this point? And it does come down to growth still. I mean, I'm typically forward looking, but it, I think if you look backward at this particular point in time, you see how much we've rallied off the lows and you ask what is left at this point 88 percent higher on the dow uh, that is quite a reflation trade on the s p as you start to put in some of the tech stories as well 95 percent off those uh, pandemic lows and on the nasdaq 119 percent so you still need pretty strong growth from these levels if you continue to uh, ink fresh records on some of these major markets yeah, absolutely. All of the above. I just want to just say in that same conference board bit of data yesterday, I didn't tell you this as well. Uh, year on year inflation expectations in the conference board. Mm. Yeah. Highest level since 2011 at 6.7%. You've got another word you want to say? Uh, only to say that I think it's all very opaque. Um, I think the Labour story is the one that the Fed is focused on. We've got two Labour economists effectively who are running the shop here. And um, they are very focused on taking signals from the labour market. But I think as long as you've got government support, difficult to know what actually the job market in the US is going and, and to do. And do you know what the director just did? He showed a picture of my breakfast, which just did happens he? to be huh. porridge, which is just right. Right. It's almost Goldilocks-type porridge. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think it's better than the banana skin visual aid that we had no, earlier in the week. No, that's not true. Because my friend Henry, who I used to trade with, uh, uh, who's in Australia now, uh, he sent me a, a, a messenger, whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. it was, saying what a great gag he thought it was. I know you thought Very it was good. a bit lame. No. <laughs> Slippery. Um, heavy fiscal and monetary support helped offset the impact of the global recession, according to a new report from the Bank of International Settlements, the so-called Central Bankers Bank. Juliana spoke with the head of the Monetary and Economic Department, Claudio Borio, and asked him to outline the consequences of an uneven recovery. We have three scenarios uh, in the annual economic report. The first scenario is whatever is baked in the consensus forecast that uh, one can see today. And in that scenario, things are indeed uneven. Uh, the, uh, the world went to, into the crisis uh, suddenly and as one, and definitely the pandemic, if one can use that term, is going to be much more uneven and drawn out. But having said that, in the central scenario, things should be working relatively smoothly. 
Then we have two other scenarios, which are more challenging. They are plausible. Uh, plausible in the sense that they merit attention in policymaking. One is uh, when if things get worse because the pandemic it's, uh, is going to evolve uh, not as we would like it to see. Now, in that case, everyone again is going to be pretty much in the same boat, although the countries that have less room for maneuver are going to run into more trouble. The real scenario in which this heterogeneity uh, shows up is the one in which inflation uh, pr proves to be more persistent and higher than, than expected. Financial markets uh, tighten in a way that is undesirable given uh, general global conditions, and that can create uh, problems. On the note of higher inflation, at the moment, policymakers seem to be taking the view that the uptick in inflation is going to prove transitory. What if they're wrong? Flesh out for us the scenario where inflation proves to be more persistent and higher than the current expectation. Well, first of all, we do believe, we do believe that the increase in inflation is going to be transitory. Uh, second point, for those countries actually that have been trying very, very hard to get inflation up unsuccessfully, having inflation persistently higher, roughly a target, that would actually be very good news. Uh, one should rejoice about that. The real, the real problem is if inflation proves to be uh, higher, uncomfortably higher for uncomf uncomfortably long. Now, we do believe that for that scenario to, to take place, a number of factors would have to come together. Um, and again, we don't see them as the most likely. Just to give you an example, we would have to have uh, that the responsiveness of prices to excess demand pressures, capacity pressures, is considerably higher than what it had been in the past we would need to see an unmooring of, of uh, expectations. And if you have these two conditions together, then you might see uh, higher inflation on a persistent uh, basis. But having said that, so far, most of uh, what has been going on is essentially temporary. We have one-off increases in prices, which are basically bouncing back from where they were before. We are having uh, technical effects, so-called base effects, we're seeing indeed that there are speed limits to the world economy. So that supply, we have supply bottlenecks because supply is unable to catch up with demand. But all of these factors should in fact be temporary. We will wait and we will see, but that's the call. It'll be temporary. For more on our interview with the BIS Monetary and Economic Department head, Claudio Borio, go to our website, cnbc.com. Still to come, disruptions in Asia's supply chains are being cited as the cause of China's June factory activity growth slowdown. We will bring you the latest on that story in just a moment. Yeah, and I'm told it's an absolute winner on the podcast today. Uh, for more on the market forces that have impacted the first half of the year, you can check out the aforementioned Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. 
you to Moderna shares. I think it's fair to say one of the biggest concerns of the market remains variants at this point around COVID. So encouraging news coming through from this company as Moderna shares jumped as much as 6% to a record high after the drug maker's COVID-19 vaccine showed promise against the Delta variant in a lab study conducted with just eight participants. The vaccine sparked an antibody response in all variants tested, according to Moderna, with a modest decrease in reaction compared to the original strain. CEO Stefan Bansell said the new data is encouraging and reinforces the firm's belief that their vaccine will remain protective against new variants. Japan's monthly industrial output fell the most in a year in May, spurred by a sharp decline in car production. Factory output slumped nearly 6%, likely causing the world's third largest economy to grow at a slower pace than expected in the second quarter. The drop challenges the country's overall economic recovery just weeks before it's set to host the Olympics. Growth in China's June factory activity slowed to a four-month low amid rising raw materials costs and a shortage of semiconductors. Sam joins us uh, with more on the story. Sam, at least there was some brighter news in the new orders data. Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. I mean, still this uh, 50.9 is uh, uh, comfortably above that 50 mark that separates expansion from contraction. But uh, as you said, this was a smidge lower than May. There were a couple of uh, factors, a combination of them, actually, as you pointed out, a bit of a shortage of uh, semiconductor chips. We know that this is something uh, that a lot of countries are facing at the moment in terms of a bit of a supply crunch when it comes to this. And actually, the sub-index of new orders when it came to car manufacturing uh, did actually uh, drop into contraction territory. Uh, we did also see a bit of a coal crunch, which did uh, impact things as well. Uh, but this was also because of some supply chain bottlenecks that we saw because of a disruption uh, in Guangdong province, which is uh, China's manufacturing hub in the south of the country. It did see a spike in COVID cases uh, just this month. And as a result of that, we saw a bit of a congestion at the port. So really weighing uh, on that uh, shipping and having an impact on those global supply chains. Uh, and on top of that, of course, we have had this issue for a number of months of these rising raw material costs, certainly weighing on these producers in China, these uh, continued higher prices of commodities are really uh, showing continued upstream price pressure uh, on these factories. And so uh, all of that uh, really did uh, drive uh, this uh, weakness when we saw uh, the uh, official manufacturing PMI. We also did see a little bit of a slowdown when it came to the services sector as well, that coming in at uh, 55.3 or 53.5, I should say, from uh, 55.2 in May, and that was largely down to COVID cases also taking a hit to that consumption in the month of June. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.